Okay, James chapter 4. In many ways, it's difficult to come from such a wonderful time of worship to such a grim passage because we originally intended this, the teaching team originally intended that this um, series on James be titled Hear It and Do It. And we might well say for this chapter, it's called Don't Do It. And it's a very, uh, many ways, a negative and condemnatory passage and quite confronting. And when Rhoda rang me during the week to talk about possible songs, she said, wow, this is a really grim chapter. And it is. And often I discovered eventually, it took a while for my slow brain to work this out when I was teaching high school, that it's actually better to tell people what to do and not, not what not to do. Because if you say to kids, don't talk, What's the word that sits in their mind? Thank you. Yeah. So it's much better to say, listen up. It's something like that. Okay. And a good example of this, very quickly, was when I was at the Hobart Matric College over in what's now the funeral home in Letitia Street. There was obviously some misbehaviour at one of the socials. I wasn't at it. We didn't do things like that in those days. And uh, Christians didn't. And um, anyway the principal stood up in, in assembly and used the immortal words. He said he was horrified to hear there had been canoodling at the, and that next time there would be no canoodling. So that's what came out in the next edition of the school magazine, the canoodling form, permission, etc., etc., etc. Time lapse no greater than was it, 30 minutes, yes. Canoodling be restricted to one victim per month. He actually died a couple of years later of a stroke. I'm surprised he didn't have it right there on the, at, the, at that school. But laughter aside, and that became, of course, that became the watchword for our year, 1967, no about matric, no canoodling. Um, anyway, let's get serious here. James is actually really serious about these actions being wrong that he's talking about and the co consequences, and perhaps he's highlighting them because... It's so easy to deceive ourselves that we're actually okay. So if he said, look, be loving to everybody, we're all probably going, yeah, of course I'm really loving. But when he says the opposite, perhaps we need to be reminded of that. So let's turn to James 4 and read. And I'm going to skip the next slide. That's what he's writing to. The first of um, five things, five parts of this chapter. No fighting, no friendship with the world, no, t um, let's see the next one. no arrogance, no slander or judging, and no taking the future for granted. So, no fighting, the first three verses. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I might note that with a lot of these no things in this chapter, they do relate often to what he's already talked about and that is the use of our tongue. Of course, there can be physical fighting but the vast the majority of fighting is said things. And as selfish desires, he talks about here, wanting our own way. And, you know, battles between Christians, I regret to say, 
are usually not over major doctrines. There have been, of course, there have been major arguments about the Trinity and the nature of Christ, but in Christian communities, much more often they're over something really minor. Probably the most unpleasant meeting I've ever sat through was about music. Because music is such an emotional thing and all the rest of it, but that's not a really, it's not a happy situation, is it, that we should be like that. I was, in some of this, uh, this history work I've been doing, I've been listening to tapes. Thank you to Paul Scott for making them into MP3s and thank you to Anne Williams for transcribing these. It's amazing help. One of these, there was such a division in a meeting in Sydney back in the day that one faction turned up to church on Sunday to find that all the seats had been removed by the other faction so that they couldn't meet. This is not, as James says earlier in the thing, my brethren, these things should not be. So let's take it to our hearts. How do we talk among ourselves? How do we, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you've got the wrong motives. Let's take that to heart. Basically, a lot of this can be traced to wanting our own way, no matter what the cost. I'll just point out too that the Lord Jesus, who had the most right of anybody to be right, did not force things when he could have, when he was arrested, for example. Okay. Um, the next one is no friendship with the world. So let's keep reading. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely but he gives more grace that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble um, actually though the word those words you adulterous people in the Greek it's actually um, feminine adulteresses and immediately the Jewish people to whom James was writing would have referenced the many, many times in the Old Testament where Israel is called an adulteress because um, of being unfaithful to God. So basically you can't have it both ways. Um, a friendship with the world means a worldview which um, values possessions, is, is shonky about relationships, puts work at far too high a pedestal, um, has not a good regard for our environment, uh, use of leisure time may be um, very selfish. And so not just when I <laughs> in those years when I was young and Hobart that one year at Hobart Matric, those days a lot of Christians would have said dancing in the movies and alcohol and smoking and a few other things were evidence of worldliness and some of those are not terribly good things anyway, but basically it's our attitude. God deserves and indeed demands unwavering allegiance. And it is only possible through his grace. I love that verse that said he gives more grace. And you know in Hebrews it says we will have grace for grace to help in time of need. There will always be grace to give us this 
attitude of no friendship with the world and allegiance to God. And then verse 7, I've entitled this next section, No Arrogance. And it's really a series of definite commands and they're all to do with our attitude to God. So listen up. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the same word that James uses in chapter 1, which we've already looked at some weeks ago, where he talks about being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Two heads. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And again, there's this emphasis on not doing our own Thing and wanting our own way. Um, we can't have it both ways. And I'd like to read from J.B. Phillips' um, version of this, these verses because I think it, I really feel that it says it in a really good way. Be humble then before God, but resist the devil and you'll find he runs, he'll run away from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Realise that you have sinned and get your hands clean again. Realise that you have been disloyal and get your hearts made true once more. As you come close to God, you should be deeply sorry, you should be grieved, you should even be in tears. Your laughter will have to become mourning, your high spirits will have to become heartfelt dejection. You will have to feel very small in the sight of God before he will set you on your feet once more. You will have to feel very small in the sight of God before he will set you on your feet once more. And then we have these next verses. Brothers, and this is one where James actually does say it directly and not by inference. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? You know, and then speaking against the law is an interesting one. I looked up what that might mean. And it's basically setting yourself up in place of God's law of love. James has already called that in chapter 2, the royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbour as yourself. And the law of love, if you, set, if you make a judgment against somebody, um, you are breaking that law and the Old Testament laws as well. I just think it is really important not to speak evil of a fellow Christian. That's been done over the years, but there's a, very, a lovely comment in C.H. McIntosh's book on numbers. Um, he was a 19th century um, brethren commentator, and he said, find my, let us be occupied, speaking about other people, other Christians, only with the good. Let us dwell upon that and seek to strengthen and develop it in every possible way. And on the other hand, 
if we have not been able to find the good thing in our brother and fellow servant, if our eye has only detected the crooked thing, and remember what Jesus said about planks in our own eye and specks in other people's, if we have not succeeded in finding the vital spark among the ashes, why then let us, with a loving and delicate hand, draw the curtain of silence around our brother, or speak of him only at the throne of grace? And it clearly obviously applies to sisters as well. And it's so easy to do this. It's so easy to say a nasty comment off the cuff. I'm probably as, I would be worse than many people and that. It's so easy for something to fly off your tongue before your mind has actually engaged it. So let's try, but certainly any deliberate slander of a, a, a fellow Christian is absolutely out, James says. And don't judge. Um, Again, it's so easy to do even in a small way. <sighs> Things like, oh, you'd think she'd be able to get to church on time. And the one, a phrase that I really, I try to avoid myself and I do deplore where people say, oh, they didn't even bother to ring me. <coughs> now, you don't actually know. The fact might be they didn't ring you. You don't know why. Maybe they don't care about you, but just as easily their memory's as bad as mine and they forgot, or they got really busy, or something else happened the day they thought they were going to, or their phone battery ran out, for goodness sake. You know, like you don't actually know. So try not to load those sort of um, thoughts with emotional content. And I found a couple of very, well, one of them just came up on Facebook, I think. Before you assume, learn the fact. Before you judge, understand why. Before you hurt someone, feel. And this is pretty important, isn't it? Before you speak, think. And this one, walk gently in the lives of others. Not all wounds are visible. Um, a related one for that is um, never criticise another Indian until you have walked a mile in his moccasins. One of was a help to me a long time ago. Okay, and the final no, don't do something. No taking the future for granted. Let's read from verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He's probably talking to the Jewish business men who were in those cities that he's, he's writing, people who, who had the ability to say, I'll go and set up a business in a neighbouring town, I'll take up residence there for a year, set up a business, get it going. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Well, these verses, have we not really learned the truth of these in the last two years? We, all the things we might have planned from, at least in Australia, from about February last year, 
um, these verses have been hammered home in our heads. They've made, it realize, made us realise, made me realise how often we do indeed plan as if tomorrow is limitless. And I have to say, referring to myself, there's nothing like finding out you've got an aneurysm in your brain to realise that those verses indeed um, are true, of course. Somebody actually said to me recently the hardest thing for them with the COVID crisis was not being able to make reliable plans. And I actually thought, well, that's true, but in many ways, theoretically, we, 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 we have to make plans but under God. And it's said, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And so in reality, as James is saying, this uncertainty that we've all felt in the last couple of years is actually true all the time. It's the reality of life. We just have not mostly um, recognised it. And in Proverbs 16.9, it says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And so slightly um, changing the way that I've said these, don't fight don't have worldly values, don't be arrogant, don't slander or judge, don't take the future for granted. But let's go back to the end of chapter 3 for a more positive ending. So chapter 3, 17 says, but the wisdom, and remember James has been talking about wisdom in chapter 1 and others as well, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, putting this up, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And so considerate, peace-loving, considerate, gentle at all times, is another translation. Submissive, willing to yield to others, easy to be entreated, open to reason, full of mercy, I hope we can work out what that might be, and full of good fruits, the acts that follow from these positive attributes, impartial with no favouritism and unwavering, and sincere, not hypocritical, not saying one thing and doing another. And I think what a wonderful time of worship we've had this morning. That needs to spill into every interaction of our lives. Um, it's wonderful to praise God and as James says, you know, we don't um, good and bad coming out of our mouths at the same time, out of the same mouth. He says in chapter 3, come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. And you know, these, these attributes of peace and considerateness and submission and so on are all characteristics of the Lord Jesus. It's interesting, you know, we believe that this James was the... Um, brother of the Lord Jesus, he actually only mentions him twice in the whole book. It's really interesting. In the very first verse, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and one other time where he says, our glorious, oh yeah, chapter 2, verse 1, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It must be the book in the New Testament with the least mention of Jesus, I think. But, of course, it is all about living for him. And these characteristics of the Lord Jesus, many of them are listed in Galatians as fruits of the Spirit. And if we know him as Saviour and Lord, the Holy Spirit will grow these characteristics, characteristics in our lives. And so then finally in chapter 3.18, he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. May it be so with us for his name's sake.